George, I'm going to send you the yeah. link here. Okay. You'll see it on, do you see it on the right? Under chat? Yes. So we're going, I'm just going to say to everybody on my Facebook, jump onto that. Yes. It's on um, YouTube. Oh. Go to Facebook and then you'll see a link. You'll see a link on um on the evening devotion. So you, you're living on your website also, hey? Yes. Well, actually, that does mean that some of, even people from hands will go to your website and it won't show it, but it will, they will see the message, right? Yes. Oh, here it is. Okay. Yes. Yeah. One minute ago, it just came. Yes, it is there. Um, and people are here, so... Maybe we can begin and it's being recorded. So, sorry for the technical difficulties, everybody. <laughs> I don't know why, but Facebook is not agreeable tonight. And this just seems to be some of the challenges of life is that when Facebook works, then YouTube doesn't work. When YouTube works, then Facebook doesn't work. So <laughs> at least we're working, we're on. So George, as, as you always do, um, if you could give us an update on how things are in Africa and things for you and for Carolyn. Yeah, Carolyn and I are doing well. Um, we kind of in a rhythm now every day and um, we, we're so grateful we can spend a lot of time in prayer, of course, and um, we spend quite a few hours every day connecting with all our African leaders were just under tremendous pressure, but doing fantastic work. And, you know, they constantly ask me, how are the brothers in the high-risk countries? And so they pray for you guys, their children, and the children that you guys are supporting are praying for you. They're all very aware of um, the global challenge that there is at the moment. And slowly it's busy entering into Africa. But of course, as we spoke about it last uh, two nights ago, um, at the moment, we're dealing with many different government responses and panic and food price hikes and just logistical things. And, and then obviously with false narratives everywhere. And how do we bring facts to the table? 
I mean, I saw all the false narratives here in, in North America. It was unbelievable. Now you can imagine in rural Africa where only one person brings the news on a bicycle, for example, after he's been in a city. And what that person say is absolute gospel until the next person arrives maybe a month later. And so it's very important. And our leaders just did enormous work traveling to every community and assuring people, speaking to them, connecting with the governments, registering hands at work as an essential service in every country so that we can have a mandate to travel around. Last night, um, the president of South Africa declared a three-week lockdown. Um, <laughs> I heard this morning, you're not even allowed to take your dog for a walk. So <laughs> it's really tight. Yeah, wow. I think okay. they might still find a bit of a balance there. But Eric said, even in the DRC, the first three days was a total lockdown. There was not a bank. There was not nothing worked. And now slowly the government's allowing. And so, so information, for example, that the food trucks coming into the DRC is not blocked. They can still come through. And that will ease the food price hikes and people will settle down a bit. Um, and so there's just a huge amount of things happening at the moment. We deeply appreciate any prayer because as you always know, the layers of society, when things happen, um, everybody is, you know, if I get an increase on my um, production cost, I push it down to the customer. The customer push it down to the next guy. And so all the pressures in society always end up at the rock bottom. And so every time there's an increase on tax or petrol or whatever, the poorest people always carry the brunt of it. Everybody shouts and complains, but in reality, they just push it down to the weaker layer. And the weaker layer push it down to the next weaker layer until it hit the widows and orphans and they, can, they cannot push it down. They just absorb all of that. And so that should give us a huge heart for justice um, as followers of Christ, yes. that we should deal with that. We just should, as Isaiah 58 say, we should speak on behalf of those people um, and bring that beautiful news that, that Jesus wants us to bring. Well, you are leading us today through Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 24 and yes. uh, 25. And excited to cover a passage that says, let us not give up meeting together. And we're yeah. all, in, in a sense, giving up meeting together. And see what that looks like. It's so excited yes, to see very, how you lead us through that. Very contradicting, isn't it? <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I think it's good that we talk about these things and consider carefully what it means. So thank you for the opportunity, Sam. Oh, no, thank you. Do you mind praying for us? Yes. Father, we, we thank you that, um, and we choose to, to thank you in many ways in this time, um, because we know that if we just ask and we never thank, we will be anxious about everything in our lives. And so, um, we make a choice, even in tough times, to look for things to thank you. Yeah, it looks grim in Africa in many ways. But when I listened to Simon from Malawi today, and he just said to me, George, God has prepared us for this. He gave us a word in January. And so I know he will pull us through. Then I thank you for Simon. In the midst of the storm that can be positive and can believe that you are still on your throne. And so tonight we thank you that in the midst of this lockdown, um, many of us have got time to sit two or three times a week and, and be on uh, YouTube or uh, Facebook and to hear God's word and to contemplate and consider things which, let the truth be told, many of us have not done for years. And so I do pray, especially out of these evenings, if there's one prayer for me, for everyone that's listening, then it is that we will not wait for the problem to go away so that we can continue with our lives. That would be a deeply, deeply sad moment. 
but it, we will absolutely make use of this time to reset, readjust, refocus, recommit, and just allow again our hearts to be open to fellowship with you, Lord Jesus, and with those around us. And that there will be a difference in our lives. And as we can't meet in brick and mortar, the beautiful thing about it is your church is out there for the first time. We are out everywhere. And the world is watching us. Our neighbors are watching us speaking on internet of each other. They can hear us talking about things. And, and suddenly they can watch us how we respond in the midst of the fire. We thank you for that. You've given us opportunity. May we seize it, Lord. May we use it to its fullness. And may we know that you will take us through the storm. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, George, you are going to lead us. Okay. Welcome, everyone. Um, we had a number of people through the last few sessions that actually surprised us, people from Germany and India and different places. And so we don't know who's listening to us or who will listen to us later on, but we just welcome everyone. Tonight, I want to, to read this scripture or a piece of scripture from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, and I want to read from verse 19 to 25. I will use the English Standard Version. Let us hear God's word. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from all evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast unto the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is a habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen. Such a beautiful scripture, isn't it, Sam? Mm, it is. A lot, as always, is there. Yeah, the book of Hebrews, of course, none of us are sure who the author is. But um, we do know that if we read the content, at, at the very least, he's deeply appealing to the to the Jewish community and speaking into them, showing them um, the new high priest, the new covenant. And I think in this piece, it's speaking very clearly about that. So maybe as a, just a, a bit of an introduction in this, this piece that we read, it's really just a practical piece in Hebrews, teaching us um, that we experience God's power, Christ's power, by drawing near to God, number one, by maintaining our faith and loving other believers. That's a beautiful part. So when we do those things, it brings us close to God's power. The positive encouragement just showing us here is that Jesus is our high priest. He has given us access to God's presence. <laughs> you know, I cannot read that. I, I love it when we read and it said, Hi, the great priest over the house of God. And I am part of that house. It's, it's just beautiful. It, I just become so emotional when I look at it. That's an old, 
old gospel that we will never grow tired of. And, but, but in the scripture, the author challenges us to take on the same disposition as our high priest. And I think for me, I want that point really to be pushed hard tonight. Um, it is in that disposition that we find the nourishment. It's in that disposition that we identify and live and bear fruit and remain loyal, not just to, to God, but to the community around us. Sam, I so often I speak about the vertical and horizontal. Um, love God, love neighbor. Um, in Psalm uh, 89, it speaks about the foundation of God is righteousness and justice, um, that vertical and horizontal, and how the two display the beauty of God's love to us. And in and, and Hebrews, this author starts off by speaking to us hope. And we're going to look into it a little bit more now. But I, I just wanted to paint that picture to say he takes us and we start off and he reminds us that we've got a high priest that tore open the curtain for us. It was incredible. Um, in Hebrews 10 verse 10, we read, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. It, it is just beautiful. It's just everything was done for us. But then the author goes further. He goes further and he starts laying it out and say, because of that, this is now how you should live. And I want us to dig into that a little bit. So maybe you want to add a bit to that. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent, George. I look at uh, verse 19 and mm. just, you know, there's, there's so much in the Bible that just speaks of, um, there's just so much there. And sometimes it's just one word. And the one word that strikes me, there are so many, but one of them is the word therefore. And yeah. it, uh, to me, that means that the author has said a lot before Yes, that what he said before is what makes the following now something we must do. And when I read verses one all the way through 18, it speaks, I mean, just so much there, a lot about the fact that everything that the Israelites did when it came to the sacrificial system was what he calls a shadow of the good things to come. And there was an earthly tabernacle, but that's a shadow of a heavenly tabernacle. And there's an earthly high priest, Aaron and his sons, but that's a shadow of a great high priest. And then there's earthly blood and the blood of bulls and goats, but it's a shadow of the blood of the Savior, God's own son. And all of that then leading to this wonderful promise where he's quoting from the prophets, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more, you know, and, mm. and just all of that, the blood of Jesus, what he has done, how that opens doors. And, and then therefore, since we have confidence, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it really is that uh, you're building on a foundation and yes. everything that's we're about to say is built on this strong foundation of all that Jesus has accomplished. And so firmly agree with what you had just shared and think that that just feeds right into, I think, all that's going to be talked about. Yeah, yeah. And, and when the author speaks about, um, he calls it the road into the Holy of Holies. It mm. Really, if you look at that word, it speaks about a new and a living way. Yes. The Greek word there, uh, translate that way, translate into uh, the meaning of a road. Um, and so having therefore the boldness for the entering of the holy of holy by the means and the blood of Jesus, a road, a freshly slain one, a living one. Mm. You know, it, 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 it's, it's so beautiful. And 
Andrew Murray, who is just, I so want to recommend you to read Andrew Murray's books, just incredible books. But he, he I quote him, Andrew Murray wrote this, he mm -hmm. said, oh, the glory of the message. For 15 centuries, Israel had a sanctuary with the holiest of all, into which under pain of death, no one might enter. Its one witness was, man cannot dwell in God's presence, cannot abide in his fellowship. And now, how all has changed. As then the warning sounded, enter not. So now the call goes forth, enter in. The veil is rent, the holiest is open. God waits to welcome you to his bosom. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful words? <laughs> yes, absolutely. We are welcome. So That's maybe good. tonight, um, I just want to try and set it a little bit, Sam, to say maybe tonight, as many of us are listening, and, and we've even heard statistics today, and we've seen things, and we maybe had family members um, that we're concerned about and so on. And we think, shouldn't we be more relevant? Shouldn't we cut to find immediately what, God wants us to do. And I think it is so crucially important that we look at this and we find always all the answers, everything in Christ Jesus. It is from that disposition, as one commentary said, it is from that place of um, becoming like Christ that we find the peace and the power out of that resurrection, that he gives us the answers in our times of trouble and burden. And even this afternoon, I was contemplating about it and I just thought about scripture after scripture. Fear not, be anxious of nothing. Cast your burdens, just consistently over and over. There's a call from God, the Father, to his children and say, come to me when you are burdened and heavily laden and I will bring rest to you. And so I think even in tonight, as we start off in Hebrews, we first go back. You're very right. When it said, therefore, it was actually, I think, nearly two chapters long. The author was, was solidifying a huge argument to the Jews, showing them the new high priest, mm -hmm. the one who's been slain once and for all, that's the good news. And we've always got to go back to that first and build ourselves up and reaffirm the truth in our hearts. Go back to, to the baseline, so to say. <laughs> go back to the deepest truth. And from there, there's always those layers that we're going to see just now where God speaks to us and say, now live like this, do this. But it always first we go back to the bedrock Christ in me, the hope of glory. Yeah, no, that's so good. So why do we have confidence then? Well, we know we have confidence. What does that look like? Yeah, I, I think um, the author also speaks about confidence in here, doesn't he? And um, I, I was um, actually... This afternoon, I was also thinking about 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed in the image of God. And so in... In verse 23, for example, it speaks and it says to us, um, I just want to go and read exactly verse 23. Let us hold fast. There are three places where it says, let us, let us, let us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see that right through the book, right? But let us hold fast to the confession and without wavering, and so, Sam, I just wanted to touch on that because I think it's so important for us to go back to the previous verse and speak about confidence. Um, what does it mean to us 
to live unswervingly. Is it possible for us to live like that? I don't think it is possible for us to live like that. It is only possible if Christ is in us. It's only Christ in us that can make that possible. His faithful color, uh, character is so beyond all doubt. And it's in his strength that we can stand unswervingly. It is so interesting that straight after this chapter, we go into what we call the faith gallery, isn't it? Where it shows us all the faith heroes and how they stood unswervingly. But if you read through Hebrews 11, it takes you back to where we are in a sense because it speaks about the world was not worthy of them. They waited for a better world. They, they dreamed of a city of which foundations was laid by God himself. And so we could see these faith heroes, many of them right through the Bible that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. All of them had a deep understanding of the confidence that they had in God. And that gave them the ability not to be wavering. That, that word wavering, it, it means to lean towards. It means to incline or to bow. Really, I think the author was just um, encouraging us not to, to lean back, not to, not to allow to the Israelites, they, they started dreaming about Egypt again, right? When they, when they went through tough times, they started saying, oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. Their hearts were returning to the place of slavery. It's incredible if we look at that in now, in our tough times, how easily that can happen to us. And so the author is encouraging us. He's saying to us, lean towards Christ. Put your head forward. Don't allow your heart. It's so interesting. It's saying, don't allow your heart to return back to the place of slavery, uh, of slavery in uh, Exodus. So it, we find our confidence, Sam, I believe, when we um, lean towards Christ, when we allow these heroes that we read about um, in chapter 11 to remind us why they could go through all the tough times. It's because they dreamt of a city to come. Their eyes were on eternity. One of the quotes I came across today as I prepared for Sunday actually was, we are in trouble if we fear death more than God. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and I, think, uh, I think if we dig into God's word and we look at the heroes and we look at his word, it repositions us in that place where we realize, but death has lost its sting. There is a city to come. There's a life to live now in full confidence but we must lean towards Christ in this time. Hmm. You know how uh, similar in some way the, just the things that you have mentioned are to what we spoke about last time. Yeah. You know, the idea that the waves are there and if we keep our eyes, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we don't look at the waves and we're okay. But once we start looking at the wind and the waves, we start sinking. Yeah, and yeah. we become paralyzed with fear. When I read Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, how often that theme is throughout. I, I was looking up a Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay attention, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And we, yeah. we see that actually throughout. We see it in Hebrews chapter 6 and talking about the person who has tasted the heavenly gift. Um, who has been enlightened, but they turn away and they're crucifying Christ all over again. Hebrews chapter 12, talking about that our God is a consuming fire. And so, that, you know, be just the warnings that Hebrews gives against that concept of drifting. And, and even as you just shared of this, um, this uh, idea of being steadfast and making yeah. sure that we, we have full assurance of faith. And, uh, you know, how, I mean, you have seen a lot of different people of all walks of life from 
people in Africa, internet people, international volunteers, people who come to hands with the, I'm going to save the world and I'm doing this for Jesus. <laughs> and, you know, you've seen that and you've seen, you've seen all sorts of different type of people. And you've even know people who have started out really strong, you know, where Hebrews 12 says, therefore, there's a great cloud of witnesses. Uh, I just want to read that because I think it's, and I want to ask this question yeah. to you because it's very much in line with this concept. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and so which, uh, and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so, and then he says, uh, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Again, that same theme, you know, of how, how do you, you've seen all those different people, people who have finished the race strong to the very end, and then people who seem like they're doing really well, and then suddenly they just sink, drift away, stop running. What, yeah. What do you think about that journey? Like how do, yeah. why does that, what does that look like? Why do people, you have those two paths, why are they there? And, and how have you encountered that? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> actually in the scripture, if I can just start there, the very next few verses after that is a warning on that. Mm -hmm. And, yes. and so, <laughs> you know, and, and I want us to, I want us to go into it slower to get used to it because this is a bit, um, cross-cultural shock nearly for us, many of us, to be pulled right back into such deep truths as we've been discussing. Um, and it's counterculture, right? If we, if we want to be brutally honest and speak about the kingdom culture and we want to speak about our north american culture for example you know and how it slowly pulled us away now in africa it's exactly the same and the bible it was exactly the same you read the old testament and you think how lord how could they turn their back on you you've just done a b and c and look at these people i'm so glad i'm not like that well <laughs> well we are like that <laughs> i am a hundred percent like that and I think there's a book, um, Sam, written, God's Generals. And it's a deeply disturbing book in a sense because mm. it shows you just how many people do not finish well. And I, I want to say this tonight to us because I do think we owe this to each other to say, friends, there are many, many people that do not end well. And in fact, um, in my walk in the last 25 years in the ministry, I've seen more people <clears throat> becoming disillusioned with Jesus and walking out on their faith in the latter part of the race. And so I just want to encourage every one of us, this is not a done deal, just that everything will be fine forever. If You've, as you have to work in your marriage, we know how many marriages fall apart after the last child leave house because slowly things just got worse and worse. And so before I talk about any people outside myself, I am absolutely atypical of that. I'm the kind of person that I tell you if I, and that's why it's so crucially important for me to have rhythms, Sam. God gave us rhythms. God gave us rhythms to live by, to say, I will not negotiate my prayer time. I will not negotiate my time studying God's word. I will not negotiate going to places where it's tough and broken because I find life there. And as we're going to read just now, I will not forsake fellowship with the believers. There is a massive reason for all these things. God, it's the same with giving, by the way, being generous. It's a discipline that you cannot stop if you've got one dollar left. That dollar is not going to help you, man. If you want to do one thing with that dollar, give it away as quick as you can. At least it will kickstart you for a new beginning. We've got to be painfully generous. We've got to give until it hurts. Giving is not giving if it doesn't hurt. That goes for your 
the way you care for your neighbor and the way you do and the way you give your finances, your prayer time, everything. The moment we hurt, it's like exercises, right? No pain, no gain. <laughs> That's in our spiritual life, exactly the same. So we've got to stay close to Christ. We've, and it's not just happening automatically. We've got to stay in a rhythm. There are things that we've got to do. Now, when I do those things, I truly can say to you, I stay close to God. I can hear, I can see things. And sometimes I'm surprised what I can see and what I can say. But it only happens when I'm close to him. And I can train for five months running and then I get flu for two weeks. And when I go back running, I can't run a kilometer. It's amazing how quickly you lose your fitness. It's amazing how easily wheat grow and how difficult it is for <laughs> maize to grow. It's amazing how quickly we drift away from the truth. And we see that in the Bible. We see that right from the beginning. We see constantly God's people drifting away, getting called back, drifting away, getting pulled back. But we, we've got no excuse for that. We've been given the full revelations. So often it speaks in the New Testament, we'd say what the prophets dreamt of, hope they could see, but they knew they served us because we are going to see it. The king was born and we are in that new dispensation. And we've got the Holy Spirit and there's no reason why we can't live close lives of Christ all the time. It's very sad. In Africa, I have, oh, in the last 20 years, I've seen people that I deeply respected and I wish I could have been like them and tried to imitate them in the way they lived. Some of them are very far from God now, very far. Um, yeah. That is a stern warning to all of us. Mm -hmm. Yes. So in light of uh, the rest of this passage, it seems to, as you said, give us very clear, uh, a very clear roadmap as to how to guard against that, you know, how to guard against that drifting away. And um, one yeah. thing is that, th so he says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And I've heard you mention numbers of times where you will say, I, I want to be free in my conscience, that you will decide not to do something because of your, the desire to want to maintain your conscience. What do you think the writer is saying there? Because clearly our conscience is impacted by something. And it's a part of this assurance of faith that he's talking about. Yeah, I think it's, he's using two words, right? He's using a sincere heart. And then he's um, speaking about a sincere heart. So let me just get the sincere heart in full assurance of faith. And so that sincere heart, <laughs> there's this battle for our hearts, isn't it, Sam? The, the battle is mm -hmm. constant. And, and how do you keep a sincere heart before God and before man is to keep that short accounts, that short accounts. You do not allow that callous, that hard things to grow over your heart. Paul speaks, I can't remember where it is now, maybe you can help me say, if we carry on allowing things, eventually we get to a place where it's like a red iron that we burn our consciences. We lose our ability. There's times that I will sit with Christians and I will say, Listen to yourself. Hear what you're saying. You, you, you give me an excuse to grossly break what we believe as believers. You cannot negotiate those things. Yeah. We can't. Now, that happens gradually, Sam. Yes, yes. It doesn't happen overnight. It's the same as, yes. as marriages and people being unfaithful. And mm -hmm. I honestly don't believe it just happens. It happens gradually. That seed gets planted. In fact, Jesus speaks about that. And then it grows. And then 
eventually it becomes a desire and it turns into sin in your life. So for me, that sincere heart that it's speaking about. So let's just stop there for a moment and say, why are we talking about that in the midst of a crisis here? Because this is a moment of grace. This is a moment of God saying, reconsider. Look at the ways you've lived. Look at your excuses. May I, may I cut a little bit closer to the bones, Sam? Look, you know, if we talk about attending church or the fellowship of the saints, that's nothing new. Paul wrote about it in Corinthians. Paul wrote about it everywhere. We see, and, and then um, Ephesians, I think, they speak about it. Paul urged people, he said, you've got to, you've got to get into that rhythm. Mm -hmm. You've got to. Don't listen to the lie that you can just, because of being part of a fellowship, attending to people, and I'm not just talking about a, a formal church meeting, although that's massive part of it. I talk about your brother and your sister fellowshipping with, asking the right questions. Vincent took me somewhere um, a few days ago, and as we were traveling in a car, one of the elders of the church phoned in on a car and I could hear his voice over the speaker. And it was unbelievably encouraging and beautiful for me to hear how the elder said to him, how are you? Are you okay? I know it's tough to be single right now. You know, my door is open. What can I do for you? And I was listening to this and I thought, this is beautiful. This is fellowship. This is making, is drawing nearer to somebody. So when we attend fellowship in whichever format it's not just about us going to hear it is also us going to give and i wish we had time to talk about the whole thing of lay persons it's so unbiblical it's so from the pit it's such a lie where we say well i'm not called i'm a mechanic or i'm a teacher and Satan managed to disempower you. He took you out of commission. You're just sitting there. Um, and we were called to be absolutely, every moment of every day, we were called to be the salt, the hope. In fact, Sam, if I may show you something that struck me so deeply yes. this afternoon. In verse 22, 23, and 24, hidden in those three verses, came the three virtues, faith, hope, and love. If you go and find in verse 22, you see, um, let's just jump yes. to verse 22. Can you see it? Yes, I do. You speak about faith, 23, mm -hmm. hope, um, mm -hmm. 24, love. So we see how Paul is bringing, or the author of Hebrews, is bringing these three together that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13, it also it speaks about faith, mm -hmm. hope, hope, and love. This, and then of course, love is the greatest. So when we look at what it says in these three um, verses, faith, it is faith that puts you to work. James speak about that, right? It is hope that makes us endure. It is hope that we have. That is what makes us endure. And love is what makes our hands dirty. That is how we live it out. But if we want to live out faith, hope, and love, we've got to find it first in Christ. We've got to go back and see what the high priest has done for us. Then we move from there, if you read verse 22 to 24, and faith, hope, and life, and love, is the three <laughs> virtues coming out of that three verses. Mm. Okay. Oh, that's really good. You know where it says that this, uh, and we, we've talked about it in, a number of times the blood of jesus yeah. is the means by which for example um you know we we have a, a sprinkled clean conscience and, and a sincere heart 
Yeah. Have you ever seen someone try to have a, a free conscience without Jesus? <clears throat> and that, that could even be a Christian, yeah. you know, I think yes. it's not necessarily exactly. just non-Christians, yeah. but I think Christians yeah. can try to, yeah. try to um, live as mm -hmm. try to feel free. And yet you sense that they're working without Christ, but by their own flesh. Mm -hmm. What do you think yeah. that looks like? Yeah, I think, in fact, I think the author actually speaking about it here, isn't he? He's referring back to the old covenant and the new covenant. Mm -hmm. And he's saying every time we back away from the new covenant, we go right into the old covenant, mm -hmm. which is by works, which is me, which is my flesh, which is earning that. Mm -hmm. um, and he's saying to us, lean away from that lean into Christ. Um, that's where in a new covenant where we find the freedom from that. Um, yeah. You know, another thing is that uh, something else to note is that it says, uh, the writer says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and, you know, when we think of the word priest today, we think of the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. We think of someone... <laughs> someone who's a mediator between us and God. And yeah. according to this passage, it's saying that Jesus is the great priest, right? Between us and God, not necessarily a human being. In fact, someone asked the question of, why do you think so many Catholics in the world don't see that? Like, why is it that? And it's, it's interesting. I was reading something about um, uh, Pope Francis and, and regarding COVID-19 and because there's just the lockdowns and everything, he had said, if you can't get to a priest, you can confess your sins to Jesus directly. Something along those lines. And I, the first thought that I came to my mind is if you can confess your sins directly without the priest, why would you need why, like, why, why you have need the priest? I, I don't, I, I didn't get the logic of it. If, if that was the sole means by which we actually have mediation, then why the priesthood, you know, and, and how special it is to have Jesus as a priest. I feel like we don't really understand or appreciate what it means that we don't have to go through someone. Um, we, we have direct access, free access. How special is that? Yeah. And um, we are now all called into that priesthood, mm. royal priesthood. We are now called into that. Isn't that incredible? Um, in fact, you know, I never knew it. I must confess it, that that verse that Peter, I think, quoted yes. there, he quoted right from Exodus. It was already spoken in Exodus. And God spoke over Israel and said, you will be a royal priesthood. And so that's always been a dream for God to speak that out over us, that there will be a high priest. And through him, we would become a nation with that. Um, I think, so we, we see on the one hand, the, um, what we refer to as in the Catholic Church, where they still say they make use of that priest. Um, and, and we see that Christ now became the, the priest that has paid the price for us once and forever. Um, and Martin Luther even spoke about that, didn't he? And it was part of the Reformation yes. where, where Martin Luther spoke about that. And I think he was sometimes, even by Protestants, misquoted in that mm -hmm. um, part that I can just be my own priest. Mm -hmm. And that was not what it is, what, yes. what it was meant. So they be, there was people that went from one extreme to another extreme mm -hmm. and they justify individualism and saying, well, I'm now my yes. own priest. Yes. I don't need any yes. fellowship. And I think yes. both of them are completely wrong. Right. It, yeah. Yeah. So now we're moving into the, the sort of the, the nitty gritty practical stuff, you know, yeah. that flows out of all these doctrines, these truths, right? Which is, let us consider how to stir up or spur one another um, toward to loving good works and 
not neglecting to meet together as some of the have been doing, but what do you think about those two? Let us not consider, let us consider how to stir up one another. It's not, let us not neglect meeting together. What does that look like, especially even now? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> that stir up one another is a strong word that, that's used there. It's really, it's, in other places it's used more by anger each other. Mm -hmm. yes. So it's, it's, a, it's a strong word, you yeah. know. It's yes. not, hey, how would you like to feel it if you perhaps just spent two minutes, you know, it's not like that. Yes. This author is using a very strong word here saying, come on, you know, yes. this is, a, yes. and because he's saying, as the day is approaching, mm -hmm. that yes. is massive, that's yes. huge. Now we lost that understanding in a sense, isn't it? This is a great opportunity yes. for us to remember. Yes. Yes. But I can just say to you, that word that was used there was harsh. He, the author didn't mess around when he said, let's yes. stir each other up. I think he, um, the NIV translates it as, let us spur, S-P-U-R, one another. And uh -huh. I think that's actually a pretty good translation because it actually, you know, it's like the what you put on the back of your boot to kick a horse uh, yes, to get uh -huh. it going, right? It's, it's that, let us spur, you know, you got to sometimes bang, <laughs> hit them because the, we, we don't want to move. Yes. And you yes. just have to like bring about that type of, you know, push. I think that's what the authors really, that, that expression, that idea, right? Yeah. And so let us spur one another on. Um, I think, Sam, for me, um, when Christ just so unexpectedly burst into my life, because it was, in a sense, um, it was so unplanned. It was so unorthodox. I didn't go immediately into classes and I was trained and prepared, you know. I, I literally would sit at night and I would eat the word of Carolyn. And the next day, when I get in my car and I drive to work, I would, I would look for a place to explode, you know. I, I would look for a place where it feels like what was in had to come out. Mm. Um, and I just thank God for that. I think if he ever gave me a, a wonderful gift, it was that first year in that sense where I was just eating and trying to live it out, trying to live it out. And um, Carolyn will make jokes about that, but she would say literally in the evenings when I come back from work, um, she and my two girls will peep over the window and the kitchen window to see how many people is in a car because I would just bring people home. I would just bring people home. Um, and, and you know, it's so interesting because one night I had a church leader that was, that came to visit us unexpectedly and he walked into the house and we had all these people in our house and it was offending to him. He could not put it together. He could not understand why we would do that. And it's a, a sincere man. It was a man that knew much more about the Bible and theology than I ever did at that stage. He had it all together, but he could not apply it. He could not translate it into driving to work tomorrow and seeing an old woman on the side of the road. He could not put the two together and say, what happened to me, I see that. I don't have to think about it. This is my business. This is exactly why I'm here. And <laughs> that's why I started Hands at Work. Mm. And that's why I called it Hands at Work. Mm. I, I have a dream that many, many people can have the opportunity like God gave me to express my faith, to try and live it out. And I can honestly say after 24 years now, Sam, today I just said to Karen for hours, I was in his word and I cannot get enough of it. The more I express it, the more it drives me back to study more and to read more 
and to, to know more. And so it's not like you read and now you want to go and walk out there. When you start walking it out, there's a new hunger that comes in you because you realize just how incredible fulfilling it is. Yes. You, and it's not just me helping other people. I am the one that's helped because I think in Matthew, this is beautiful scripture where Jesus said, today, come with me mm. and work in my vineyard. Mm -hmm. Isn't that beautiful? He invites you and me. He doesn't need us. But it's like me, I took Joshua. Joshua was two years old. And I took him out to the rubbish dumps to go and work with me, um, handing out soup to children in the rubbish dumps. I took him there. He could do nothing for me. He wasn't worth much. He was more in a way, I was more worried about him than anything else. But I wanted my son to see my heart. Mm -hmm. I wanted my son to see what it means to love Jesus. Mm -hmm. I wanted my son to see the broken world and I mm -hmm. wanted it to break his heart. But you know, my prayer for my son to this day, every day is may he dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. Mm -hmm. I don't pray may he walk in the rubbish dumps for the rest of his life. I pray may he dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. But I know if he dwells in the house of the Lord, he will end up in the rubbish dumps. Because that is where you express. Because God found me on the rubbish dump. Mm -hmm. Sam, that's where he found me. I was totally over and lost. A disaster. And he found me. That, I believe, is why God is stirring us up. And he's saying to us, I want to challenge you, go out, be that light. Not because just those people need you, because you need those people. When you meet them, it's like rendezvous. It takes you back to your own ground zero. It reminds you of God's goodness in your life. It brings hope to you. You see miracles. You see hope. You see hope in people's eyes that never had hope. And suddenly that hope jumps back in you and you go home and you've got a problem with one of your children, but suddenly you've got hope for that because you just saw hope today in a man with no hope out in the streets. That's why God is stirring our hearts to do that. That's why he's asking us, live out that life of love and good deeds. Oh, that's excellent. So a couple of things. One is that it's almost time. So I thought we should, you know, on Friday, we'll continue this because the second part talks, we could talk, I feel as though um, about just that one idea of meeting together for the whole time and what that looks like, all the implications of that. I, oh, that's I, would, good. I would love to hear even your, um, your own personal experiences of being in Hans Village and the community there, what that means. Because I think a lot of people have no idea what that's like, you know, and they have a probably a very, um, some have no idea, some have an idealistic view of, oh, it must be heaven on earth, you know. <laughs> everyone it's just one big retreat everyone's happy and loving each other all the time so until george like to, comes home <laughs> <laughs> so to hear about just the community at hands and what it means to meet together because you really do meet together yeah all the time and yeah. what that looks like and then what it looks like for us today in this type of environment where it's yeah. quite complex so we'll talk a lot about the meeting together next time, but I do want okay. to ask you this one question because the Hebrews writer, interestingly enough, he doesn't say, let us, uh, let us do good, uh, do love and good deeds towards one another. He says, let us consider how to, how do I get you, George, to, how do I spur you to do good deeds. It's actually harder in a certain way for, for me to get you to do it than for me to just say, I'll do it myself, right? And generally that's the case in any type of leadership context. It's always easier in one level to do it myself when I'm better than you at it, but it, it takes a lot more walking alongside patience to, to disciple somebody, to actually not do it myself, to see someone fail, to see someone struggle. So 
what does that look like? How do I get, how do you, and you are this person, you spur, you're always thinking about how do you spur one another on towards love and good deeds? How do you, what does that look like for you? And you're right, it is tough. And it was very tough for us in the beginning. I nearly felt robbed by my call. When Carol and I, because for a number of years, it was only the two of us. And we had one or two local people that believed in what we were doing. And we loved it. I was literally Monday to Friday, I was nine hours a day in the field. And it was just the most fulfilling time in my life. And then suddenly people started coming. And I remembered so clearly how I reacted against that until I understood that that gift that God gave me to show me and to let me experience that was not just for myself, but for the rest of my life, I was going to have to pay a price so that other people can experience that. So every time I get into ground zero, I see it as a gift from heaven. Carolyn said, that's when I'm in my happy place. <laughs> but... Um, the rest of my life is not necessarily my happiest place, but it brings great joy to me because I am a vehicle that helps people to get to that place. And so I've learned to find my joy in seeing people finding Christ in the midst of the broken world, coming back and being confronted with their lack of faith their culture, their selfishness, and then to sit there with me, as we would say, around the fire and to talk about God's goodness and love for them, that he gave them this opportunity to see with real eyes. And then to see that transformation is unbelievable. And so you're right, Sam, just to conclude that many people come to hands because they are so broken and they want to be with broken people. They don't come because they really want to bring Jesus or anything but that's okay because in the midst of that they find the truth and and for us to have noticed that and seen this in the last two decades um, just brought so much so much fulfillment in our lives as we saw people discovering authentic deep relationship with Jesus and how to dislocate their hearts how to allow God's heart to be in their chest, how to allow that pain to enter and then that healing to flow. It's beautiful. Excellent. One question from Chris Dittman from Calgary. He says, hello. Hi, Chris. <laughs> he asks, what did it mean for an early Jewish believer to hear let us go right into the presence of God. That is verse 22. Uh, this was quite countercultural, right? Yeah, I mean, if if I listened to, to if I listened to Paul there, they had a very clear picture of um, the Holy of Holies and one man that would on a day of atonement would kill a sacrifice for himself and then a sacrifice for them, and then he would go in and ask for forgiveness for the nation of Israel. They had a very clear understanding of that. But, Chris, I do believe, and it's very clear in the Old Testament, the Messiah wasn't a surprise. It was always promised. You know, so they knew it was coming. The problem with the Messiah when he came is he didn't come in a way they would have wanted him to come. They wanted to come on a white horse and a 10-foot sword and to cut all the Romans' heads off. And he came on a donkey and he surfed and he washed their feet. And so, but they, they knew very well that he was coming. Um, it was prophesied, right? Every Jew knew that Jesus was coming or the Messiah, but they were not ready for the radical way in which he came. So I think they could, this is a massive argument that to also bring to the Jews to show them that Jesus is genuine, the Messiah, because he fit perfectly into that. It's, there's so many facts and things lining up perfectly for that sacrifice to happen on exactly the right day. It was unbelievable how things lined up. No man could ever orchestrate that that fulfillment could happen. 
to the point where, of course, we know just all the hundreds of prophecies, even down to the place where it was prophesied, they would lot for his clothing, that they would spear him. Everything was forecast and prophesied. And it happened everything exactly at the right time. So any Jew that had an open, soft heart, like Nicodemus and them, that just wanted to look a bit deeper for the truth, they discovered very quickly that he was genuine, the one that was proclaimed all the way from Genesis. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for watching. We will uh, continue this text and talk about meeting together uh, next time we meet, so on Friday. So everyone have a good night and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.